God has been so good to me and I know that God has been good to you and you can always tell somebody who has a grateful heart because that person is a worshiper and worship just simply means expressing our love to God expressing our love to God and so as I was preparing for this morning the Lord took me to this passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 17 because it's one of my favorite passages of Scripture as it relates to the season that we are in, the season of thanksgiving. And uh, so I want you to read with me, if you would, please, beginning in Luke chapter 17, verse 11. And just keep your Bibles open to that chapter because we're going to look at another passage just before it, before we leave today. It says, now it happened that as Jesus went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers. We'll talk about that in just a moment. And they stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. I want you to notice there were 10 lepers. All 10 of those lepers were healed. One came back and gave thanks. Out of those 10, nine were Jews. One was a Samaritan. And he came back and he expressed his love to God because of what the Lord had done for him. Now, when I began to read through this passage of Scripture, and I got to verse 17, it said, So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, to the foreigner, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. But there's a pattern here that takes place that every one of us need to be aware of today that I think is so obvious really when we begin to study out this passage of Scripture as it relates to thanksgiving. And the first thing that I want you to notice about this pattern this morning is that gratitude produces worship. Gratitude produces worship. Let's go back to that passage in verse 15 and 16 of Luke 17. It says that one of them, when he saw that he was healed, one of those lepers, when he saw that he was healed, he returned and with a loud voice, he glorified God and fell down on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. Now think about this here for just a moment. This man was a leper. We'll talk in just a moment about the uh, extremity of being a leper in Jesus' day. But, but let's just say that this man had been a leper for 30 years and now suddenly his life has changed because of the miraculous work that Jesus has done in his body. So let me ask you this question. After being a leper for 30 years, 
Do you think that it was proper for him to express his love to God? Do, do you think that it was proper for him to express himself in the way that he did? That it says with a loud voice he glorified God and he fell down on his face giving him thanks. Well, let me ask you this. Is it scriptural for us to express ourselves like this? Yes, it is. As a matter of fact, when we go back to the Old Testament, we, we, we study in the Old Testament that there are 11 different Hebrew words that are translated praise in the Old Testament. And out of those 11, there are seven major words that are translated praise in the Old Testament. Let me just share with you what those seven words are. First of all, there's the word ta-da. How many have ever heard ta-da? No, not really. That's not where it came from. But it's the, it's the Hebrew word ta-da. And it means, it literally means a thanksgiving choir. That's what the word means. Then there's another Hebrew word translated praise in the Old Testament, and that's the word barak. And that word means to kneel in thanksgiving. Another Hebrew word in the Old Testament translated praise or thanksgiving is the word tehillah, which means to sing a song of thanksgiving. Now do not confuse that with tequila. I said tehillah. Now, if you drink tequila, you will probably sing, but it will not be worship. I'm pretty sure of that. <laughs> tequila. To sing a song of thanksgiving. And then there is the Hebrew word halal, which means to give thanks, look at this, by being clamorously foolish. And the word halal is where we get our word hallelujah from. There's another Hebrew word translated praise. That's the word yadah. And it means to give thanks with extended hands. Look at all of these different ways that the Bible says it's okay for us to express our worship, to express our thanksgiving and our praise to God. Another is zimar. It means to give thanks with a musical instrument. Our band was doing that this morning. During worship today, they were giving thanks with a musical instrument. And then there is the word shabak. Maybe you've heard that word before, but the word shabak means to give thanks in a loud tone. Now there is one passage of scripture in the Old Testament that uses four of these words in one short little verse. And that passage of scripture is in Psalm 100 verse 4. And here's what it says. It says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving... And the word thanksgiving there is the Hebrew word tada. And then it says, and into his courts with praise. That's the Hebrew word tehillah. And then it says, be thankful. That is the Hebrew word yada to him. And then bless. That's the Hebrew word barak, his name. Now let me paraphrase that for you with the correct translation of those Hebrew words. Psalm 100 verse 4. Enter his gates with a thanksgiving choir and into his courts with singing praises. Be thankful by extending your hands to him and bless him by bowing before his name. Is it scriptural for us to express ourselves in worship? Absolutely. 
And what is it that produces worship in our life? What produces worship in our life is gratitude. And you can look when it's worship time, you can tell who has a heart of gratitude, who has a thankful heart, and perhaps who doesn't have a thankful heart. Because people who have a thankful, grateful heart express themselves externally in worship. Now listen, I know what some of you are saying. Some of you are saying, but pastor, I'm just not an expressive person. Well, I'm not going to argue with you about that, but I can pretty much guarantee that in some settings I'm going to see your emotions expressed in some shape, form, or fashion. Some people even say, but pastor, I didn't grow up in a family. You know, I, I grew up in a very dysfunctional family where there wasn't a lot of expression. We didn't hug each other. We didn't tell each other that we loved one another. And that may be the case, but listen to me. If you're a believer, if you're a follower of Christ now, if you're in the family of God, you can't use that as an excuse anymore. And the reason why is because you're no longer in a dysfunctional family. Amen. Your father in heaven is not a dysfunctional father. And then the Bible says that Christ is the bride of this church or that Christ is the, the groom of this church, that we are the bride, the church. We are the bride of Christ. So our spouse is not dysfunctional. I'm not talking about your spouse that may be here with you today. I don't know about that. But I know about our spouse as the bride of Christ and Jesus is not dysfunctional. So we can't use that as an excuse anymore. I know we all have different kind of personalities and I'm not saying that everybody should express themselves in the same way, but here's what I know. If God has been good to you and you have a grateful heart, you're going to express that somehow because you just can't keep it to yourself, amen? So in this passage, that's what I notice. I notice that gratitude produces worship, but then I begin to ask the question, what is it that produces gratitude? And in this passage, here's what we discover. We discover that miracles produce gratitude. Is there anybody in this room here today that has experienced a miracle from God? Listen, if, if you've experienced salvation, you've experienced the greatest miracle there is and you ought to express your worship of God just because of that. If he doesn't do anything else for you, he's done the most important thing for you. But miracles produce gratitude. Notice what happens here in Luke 17. It says that one of them, one of those lepers, when he saw that he was healed, returned, and with a loud voice, he glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. What was it that produced that gratitude? It was the miracle that he had experienced at the hand of the Lord. Now, you've got to understand something about this miracle. This guy had leprosy. Now, I know for years that we thought that leprosy was just a rotting of the flesh, but what leprosy is, it's a deadening of the nerve endings so that you are numb you have no pain you have no feeling and so what they thought was a rottening of the flesh is actually at night and i know you probably don't want to hear this but at night when those that had leprosy were asleep rodents and rats would come in and chew the flesh off of their bodies and because they were numb because they had no feeling they had no idea what was going on it was a horrible disease if you were married and you had children and you were diagnosed with leprosy, you would never see your wife again or your spouse again. You would never see your children again. 
If you were out in public and somebody saw you coming, they would begin to shout, unclean, unclean. Now, can you imagine if that were you walking down the street and somebody saw you coming and somebody started shouting, unclean, unclean. Can I tell you that there was a moment in my past when people had a right to do that. When I was walking down the street to start screaming, unclean, unclean, because I was unclean because of my sin. But now let me ask you this. This man has had leprosy for 30 years. Now, if you had been in that condition for 30 years and now the Lord has healed you, wouldn't it be okay if you expressed your gratitude for what God had done in your life? Well, you see, that's where I've got you because every one of us at one time in our lives had leprosy. And it was called sin. And Jesus, God the Father, loved us so much that he left the splendor of heaven and he came here to this earth in order that our sin problem could be solved. In order that our sin problem, our leprosy problem could be dealt with. And listen, there's other miracles that you've experienced at the hand of the Lord this morning. Not just the miracle of salvation. There's some here today, you've been delivered by the mighty hand and power of God. There's some of you that have been healed in your bodies. There's some of you, your marriages have been miraculously saved. There's some of you, your families have been miraculously restored. There's some of you here today, every single one of your children are followers of Jesus Christ. That is a miracle. And if God has done that kind of a miracle in your life you need to be grateful for what he's done and if you are grateful you're going to express that gratitude that's it go ahead and express your gratitude to the father this morning express your gratitude let him know how thankful you are for every blessing that he's bestowed upon you hallelujah God is so good God is so good hallelujah Gratitude produces worship. What is it that produces gratitude? Miracles produce gratitude. And I think sometimes we take miracles for granted. But miracles produce gratitude. And then I begin to think, well, what is it that produces miracles? And in this passage, what produces miracles is obedience. Everybody say obedience. Because listen to what happens in this story. When they saw them or when he saw them, he said to them, this is Jesus to those lepers, go show yourselves to the priests. And it was that as they went, they were cleansed. Now they could have looked at Jesus when Jesus told them to go and show themselves to the priests. They could have looked at Jesus and said, but Jesus, we're not healed yet. And we can't show ourselves to the priest until we are healed. We can't even be out here in public until we are healed. But notice they did not argue, they obeyed. And the Bible says that as they went, they were cleansed. And this seems to be the principle all through scripture. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago that Noah when God told him to build an ark out in the middle of the desert because he said he was going to flood the earth. And Noah had never seen it rain in his life. And even though he didn't understand it, he obeyed. 
Think about Abraham and Sarah. When God spoke to them and said that when they were past their years of bearing children, God said that you're going to give birth to a son and you're to name him Isaac. They didn't understand how they, it was going to happen, but here's what they did. They obeyed. They got busy. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not going to say any more than that. But they obeyed. And then you go and you read about folks like Moses and the children of Israel coming out of Egyptian bondage. And they get to the Red Sea. And what does God tell Moses to do? He said, take that stick in your hand and raise that stick up over the Red Sea. And when you do, I'm going to part the waters. Moses didn't understand that, but he obeyed and the waters were parted. When they got to the Jordan River, he said to him, take the priest, put the Ark of the Covenant on the shoulders of those priests. And when they put their foot... In the waters of the Jordan, which was at flood stage, he said that when they put their foot in the water, then the waters are going to stop flowing. Notice, he didn't say, I'm going to stop the flow of the water. And then they put their foot in. He said, no, when they obey me, and they obeyed, and the moment they put their foot in the water, the waters ceased to flow. Joshua, when they get into the promised land, and the first city that they are to possess is the city of Jericho. And God gives him a ridiculous plan as to how he's going to take that city. He said, for six days... You're to march around those walls one time for six days. And then on the seventh day, you're to march around the wall seven times. And then when I tell you to shout, I want you to shout. And they did exactly what the Lord said. They shouted and because of their obedience, the walls came down. There was a man in the Old Testament by the name of Naaman who had leprosy. And the prophet spoke to him and said, Go down to the muddy Jordan River and dip seven times. And even though Naaman didn't understand that because that had never cured leprosy in the past. He was obedient to the voice of the Lord. And when he came up the seventh time, the Bible said his skin was like that of a baby's. I'm telling you folks, if you need a miracle in your life, all you've got to do is obey God because obedience produces miracles. You say, but I don't understand, Pastor. This is a ridiculous plan. I'm going to look ridiculous doing it. That's okay. If God spoke to you and God told you to do it, it doesn't matter how ridiculous it may seem. Just be obedient and then watch God do the impossible. Somebody say amen to that. Hallelujah. Now, I've always tried to encourage you that when you read a passage of Scripture, don't just read that Scripture to get interpretation. Read the Scripture before it and read the Scripture after it. And so I want you, if you would, to join me in reading... The 10 verses prior to this passage. Now a lot of theologians and translators of scripture separate the passage that we just read from the passage that we're going to read. But they don't need to be separated. They work together. This is one continual thought that Jesus wants us to get. So in Luke chapter 17, beginning at verse 1, listen to what he says. This is for somebody in this room here today. This is going to be the best Thanksgiving you've ever had. Did you just hear what your pastor spoke? This is going to be your best Thanksgiving ever because that person in your family that you've been offended at that creates tension every time you get to the table, God's about to heal that offense in this house this morning. You're about to experience that miracle because of your obedience. Look at this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, It is impossible 
that no offenses should come. Now, we might as well just go ahead and face the fact this morning, Simonton, we're going to get offended. It's going to happen. Somebody is going to offend us. Jesus said it's impossible that no offense should come. But he said, woe to him through whom they do come. Woe to the offender. And then he says this. He said, it would be better for him or her if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. And then he goes on to verse 3 and he says, Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, do what? Forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Now before I read the rest of that, I want you to get an idea of what's going on in this conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples. Because he looks at his disciples and he says to them, he says, now guys, understand, you're going to get offended. And when, you get an offend, when, you're, when you're offended, you rebuke the person who offends you. And if they repent, then you're to forgive them. And, and when he said that, I can just see one of the disciples saying, well, hold on just a minute, Jesus. He turns around and he looks at the other disciples and says, guys, um, you know, Jesus is saying that if we've ever been offended, if we rebuke them, if they repent, we're to forgive them. Okay, 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 Jesus. We can do that. We can do that. That if somebody offends us, we rebuke them, they ask for forgiveness, we're going to forgive them. But then Jesus said, I, I say to you that if somebody offends you seven times over the same thing in the same day, and they ask you to forgive them, then you're to forgive them. Hold, hold on just a minute, Jesus. Hold on. All right, guys. Now he's saying that if somebody offends us seven times and asks forgiveness all seven of those times in the same, in the same day, that we're supposed, we're supposed to forgive them. What do you think? Okay. Lord... We're going to have to have more faith. <laughs> That's their answer to that. God, increase our faith. But now I want you to listen to how Jesus answers this. Because he says to them, the Lord said, if you have faith as of a mustard seed, and how many of you know that God has given to each and every one of us a measure of faith? God has already given you enough faith that if you activate that faith, you can say to a mulberry tree, be uprooted and be put into that sea. This is what he's saying to those disciples. He said, you can say to the mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Now, really what Jesus is saying to them is this. He's saying, you don't need more faith. You've got all the faith that you need. And then he goes in and he says this, and which of you having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat. Now this is a master speaking now. He's giving us an image of a master and his servant. The servant's been working in the field. When the servant comes in, the master says when he comes in, is the table prepared for him to come in and sit down while the master stands by and waits for the servant to eat? 
And notice what he says, but he will not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper, the master would say, and gird yourself and serve me until I have eaten and drunk, and afterward you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. Why? Because a servant is doing what his duty is. And then notice what he says in verse 10. So likewise, you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. I want to read that to you in the New Living Translation because you can understand it better. In the same way, he said, when you obey me, you should say, we are not worthy of praise we are servants who have simply done our duty. In other words, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says to them, if somebody offends you and you rebuke them and they ask you to forgive them, you forgive them. And he said, if somebody offends you seven times in the same day and every time they ask you to forgive them, he said that you are to forgive them. And what do they say? We need more faith. And here's what Jesus says. And this may be a little strong, but this is exactly the way Jesus wanted those disciples to get it. He said, no, you don't need more faith. You got all the faith you need. You just need to do what the master's telling you to do. And how many of you know that Jesus is our savior, but he is also our Lord and our master. And when he tells us to do something, it's not a suggestion. When he tells us to do something, it's not more faith that we need. We've got faith to move mountains. He's given every one of us that kind of faith. What we need to do is we just need to do what the master tells us to do. And listen to me this morning. If somebody has offended you and you rebuke them, you go to them and tell them and they have repented, Jesus said you are to forgive them. And it's not more faith that you need. You just do what he tells you to do because he is the master. We are the servant and whatever the master tells us to do, we are simply to obey. And when we obey what the master tells us to do, you get ready because miracles are going to happen in an environment of obedience. Somebody say praise God for the word of the Lord. Amen. So my question for you this morning is the team comes to Help me close. My question for you this morning is this. What area of your life right now do you need a miracle? In what area of your life right now do you need to experience a miracle? Because your miracle depends on your obedience. What is that act of obedience that you need to demonstrate in this house this morning in order to experience a miracle. You know, we sometimes, even this time of year, we sit down and we have this great spread of food at Thanksgiving. And Jesus gave us an example. He said, every time you sit down at a table to eat, he said, don't you take for granted what a miracle that meal is. Because there are millions and even billions of people on the face of this earth that will never enjoy a meal like you and I are going to enjoy this week. Not going to happen. And that's why Jesus gave us an example that every time we sit down at a table, we give thanks. 
we give thanks. Because miracles produce gratitude, and gratitude produces thanksgiving and worship. And so when we sit down at that table this week, we have all that spread, or you've already done that, give thanks. Thank you, God, for this miracle that you've placed on this table. Well, thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed the message. We need to understand that Thanksgiving is not just a season, but it should be an attitude. We should be grateful every day of our lives for the blessings we enjoy because of the God that we serve. He is a good God. He's a good Father. And we need to be grateful every day.